When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's two teams that I think have wanted to play all along, uh, playing each other in the in the first game. Uh, we got a ton of respect for them. I said after last season, uh, that was one of the best college football teams that I've been on a field with. Uh, I think they were one of the best teams in the country and could have easily won everything last year. Um, that being said, I thought we did a really good job of keeping the game close uh, last year for about five minutes. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. The longest offseason on record is finally over, boys. It's game week in Nebraska. That's right. Looking forward to it. Also with Mac. What's up, Redcasters? Yes, it is game week. Time to go out, get some fresh new gear. Also time to celebrate a certain three-on-three girls basketball coach starting the season 1-0-1. That's right, folks. A win and a tie and a doubleheader. Undefeated. Uh, Also with Boomer. Well, we're back to game week, and I'm just excited to say we're getting back to our uh, our form in comparing us to last year. I thought we did a pretty good job of keeping our podcast close to the Ohio State podcast for at least uh, about five minutes, so we should be looking <laughs> strong this year. Ah, uh, Boomer, we will get into the Scott Frost audio here a little bit, and you know we can uh, recap last week's games, kind of the, the primer to the Big Ten coming out with some pretty good action last week. Before we get there, though, I just realized as i heard the hot takes honky is aura day upon us aura day is upon us mac yeah i took it off as soon as the schedule was released for the third time (laughs) well honky (laughs) can you for our our listeners uh recap what aura day is so they understand the all the glory and majesty of it dates back to 16 1700s at least but the weekend of the first kickoff of the season normally Mm -hmm. it's a home game but obviously this year uh, this year's and, 2020, so. Yeah, with the third iteration of the uh, schedule, we are going to be on the road. But still, that day before, mm-hmm. uh, Friday, is Aura Day. We get together. We just suck in the aura that is Husker football. Yes. It's a lot of walking around the stadium, going to, to bars and... Catching sounds of the band on the winds. Oh, yeah. Just, you know, it's, it's all pretty good stuff. Because usually Lincoln's kind of... Like, everybody's just getting their best foot forward and expecting a lot of people into town, you know... <laughs> like merchants are literally like sweeping off their sidewalks in front. People are hanging up banners of red, and it's really a useless day to work. Like for me personally, it's like I, I shouldn't be here. I'm refreshing too much. I'm unproductive. People are getting the wrong shots, you know. So I should just be in a different spot. So yeah, it's best to take it off. And it's and frankly, man, this is a hard earned aura day. This is it's almost weird that it's here. I, I, I'm still kind of processing that. Yeah, and it really is that transition to the fact that there's going to be football because I think that's the thing with college football as opposed to NFL in a normal year where you have preseason and all that. College football just hits you across the face in week one, and all of a sudden a loss can just ruin your season. And we needed some transition from off season to season, and that's what Aura Day is. Absolutely. 
Well, you know, last week was a nice little precursor to uh, this week's Big Ten kickoff. Uh, Boomer, you know, uh, we had the BetCast last week for the very first time. We launched that. I think you went 2-0, is that right? That's correct, Dave. I went back and looked, and granted, it was for entertainment purposes only here in the great state of Nebraska, where we'd never gamble with of a good Of course, life. of course. Uh, but uh, yeah, I did go 2-0 with some of the predictions, and uh, it was it was a fun weekend. There were a couple of big ones. Uh, you know, the Alabama-Georgia game was, of course, huge. Um, there were some games postponed, unfortunately, thanks to, thanks to COVID, but uh, still a good weekend of football and enjoyable to watch. Yeah, I did lose one of my picks to a, a postponement, but I did take Alabama on that uh, spread, and they definitely showed up. You know, Honky, did we learn anything about the SEC, uh, except that it's all too predictable when it comes to Alabama, and somehow Nick Saban can um, come back from COVID in, in 72 hours? Hi, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I'm not saying anything was shady, but it also indicates that there could be a lot of false positives out there. And it's great that you can get five tests in a matter of, of three days. But um, I guess what it taught me, Honky, was when you're going against Alabama, you probably shouldn't have Stetson Bennett the fourth as your quarterback. Yeah, I think that's probably a fair way of saying it. Uh, I think the tweet of the year, it came from at Sports Gym Show. Uh, and he said, Nick Saban will beat COVID and the rest of the SEC will take credit. And <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's great. The, when it comes all down to it here with Bama, and I said it last week on the show, I, I suck at betting, but just pick Bama. It doesn't matter. Bama goes through that conference. I know the SEC is the greatest conference since sliced bread, but nobody can beat them. And I said it a week ago where A&M comes off a devastating bad loss to Alabama, and what do they do? They beat Florida. Missouri gets beat terribly by Alabama, and what do they do? They beat LSU. It just doesn't matter. Georgia was even up at halftime, I think, right? It was like 24-21, something like that. And Alabama turns around and goes and beats them by 17. That's just the way it is right now, and until the SEC proves it differently, I get told this all the time with Nebraska, right? Until until I see it, until you prove it, I'm not going to believe it. Well, until I see somebody consistently do something to Saban and Bama, not just a one-year Joe Burrow thing, but until I see something consistent, prove it, SEC. Same kind of thing, until you see someone consistently beating Clemson, or at least threatening them in that conference, Go Clemson, I guess. I, I don't know. It's... <laughs> well, I'll tell you, Boomer, one thing we can consistently see is somehow Florida State can still beat North Carolina. That was quite the upset, huh? Yeah, that it was. That was an interesting game. Some of that was just North Carolina making a lot of mistakes. They left a lot of points on the field in that game. They you know, they, they had some chances for touchdowns they didn't get in. You know, Some field goals they could have kicked and didn't make. And Florida State's a team that should always have talent. You've got so much just raw talent in the Florida and, you know, Tallahassee area and your ease of getting crab legs and stuff like that. <laughs> That's right. You should always be able to compete at Florida State. There's no reason you shouldn't. We may lose Jameis Winston as a fan, but you know, Boomer got a nice little uh, stick in there. Oh, we all love um, crab legs here, Jameis. Don't worry. So you know, we understand you love a seafood. That's true. It's true. Uh, in hockey, another one, maybe uh, Notre Dame in a... Absolute slugfest, 12-7 over Louisville. That, that had to really rise the uh, Fighting Irish into a top three team, right? Yeah, they're going to get creamed by Clemson. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Book is a good QB, and, you know, who knows? Maybe you pull off a little magic and run around and keep the Tigers off balance or something. But at the end of the day, I mean, Notre Dame, they don't look like a top five team to me right now. Do you guys see anyone beating Alabama and Clemson from here on out? Of teams that have played yet, no. 
And uh, we might talk about a team in a little bit that uh, we're going to see at 11 o'clock on Saturday. They would certainly be one that's going to be in that conversation. Uh, but, uh, I mean, right now, anybody that's been playing, it's those two teams are clearly above everybody yeah. else. Yeah. Especially within their conferences, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I Georgia could be different in a, a couple months if, say, JT Daniels is their quarterback and they're more effective on the offensive side of the ball. But, yeah, it's, it's a tough one, Boomer. Good question. You can definitely see the teams that are ready to play from day one. We talked about this over the summer. The guys that fought to play, that wanted to play. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is a guy that comes to mind with that. Mm-hmm. He's playing right out of the chute like he wanted to play. And Alabama, Dave, you mentioned it a couple weeks ago with how they do their testing. And they were testing at a level that the SEC doesn't even require them to. Why? Because they're serious about playing. And they're serious about having their coach on the sideline. Don't you false positive Alabama, damn it, because they're going to get him back, okay? And you know what? They're taking it serious. And so I think that there are some teams that are proving to be taking the season more serious than others. Mm -hmm. And the ones that are, I think they're going to be the ones having the success as the year goes on. And it'll be interesting to see some of these teams that struggle out of the shoots early. How motivated are they as they get to November and and into December? You know, as the seasons wear on, that will be Especially the challenge. Especially when the opt outs come back, you're like, ah, you know what? Second thought, I am going to NFL. Yeah. How quickly you can get your mind back if you've opted out and then you come back? Are you all there? I don't know. Frost said today in a presser, we haven't had any opt outs, we haven't had any test outs. I know that we're going to be ready, and I know that we're going to give Ohio State the best game that we can give them in, in Week One, and that's something we didn't give them a year ago. Strong words. And now, Scarlet Colored Glasses. It's been a battle. Like I just uh, said, I think Ohio State, it's probably the ones that led the battle. We've certainly been in lockstep with them to try to get football back. So I'm going to root for them in every single game except this first one uh, because I'm I'm, uh, grateful to them for um, going shoulder and shoulder and fighting to get this back. Our kids are excited to play. We're excited to play. There's There's been a lot of moments where I didn't think we'd get here. Uh, but now that we're here, uh, I think playing football was the right thing to do, and, and we're excited to be a part of it. All right, let's put on our scarlet-colored glasses and talk all thing Huskers football. Hockey, we uh, heard from Scott Frost today. Got some, some nuggets of information, um, you know, probably – the biggest one was that Adrian Martinez will be starting at quarterback. He is QB1, but uh, Luke McCaffrey is right behind him. What was your uh, take on, on that information? Yeah, we don't have a official depth chart yet, but at the position where we're all most curious about the quarterback spot, he did kind of let the cat out of the bag or whatever you want to say with the fact that Martinez is going to be the starter. Uh, we're not going to announce much from uh, depth chart. I just think that's what's best for our team. Um, Adrian's going to be our quarterback. I feel like I got two guys uh, that are playing at a really high level. I've seen a lot of improvement out of Adrian this year. I've seen a lot of improvement out of Luke this year. Uh, both those guys are capable of uh, moving our offense and doing a great job. We've kind of said all along that if all things were equal, you would start the guy that has the two years worth of experience. That only seems to make sense. Right. And what I think it really tells me right now is that I think all things are kind of equal with the two. Um, I know Frost really likes McCaffrey. I think Frost uh, wants to push Martinez as as hard as he can here in this preseason, and he continues to do that leading up to this. But it doesn't shock me at all to see Martinez be the starter. In fact, I've kind of said all along that really this is all Martinez is to lose. This is his last real opportunity 
take it, do what you're going to do with it. He can run with this and and leave McCaffrey in the in the background if he goes and plays the way we think he can play. And if he struggles, he's going to have a guy that's right there to take that spot from him really at any point. Mac, what do you see Luke's role on Saturday? It's interesting because the opponent is Ohio State, right? So there's not you might not have those built-in pockets that you might want to try to work in a backup just to get some just some experience and time, but it is a situation where maybe you put some packages in for a dynamic athlete who can throw the ball. So maybe they're on the field at the same time. Maybe Adrian comes off the field for a few series. I think that's probably entirely possible. I think Frost remembers being snake bit by Tristan Jebbia a few years back when they made this kind of announcement yep. and one guy got out of town and we were hung with a true freshman quarterback who got hurt in the first game, and then we were in some trouble. I don't think that's the case with Luke. I think, you know, this is going to be a weird year anyway. I think Luke's all in. And I think Frost is genuinely interested to see him play and see how the offense does with him. I don't know how much separation there is. Uh, I think we have two first-string quarterbacks. Uh, that's the way we feel about them. And, you know, I, I really believe if Luke would have been the one that had already been playing and and we would have had the same camp, it would probably be Luke. Um, they, they both had – uh, tremendous camps, and, and we see ourselves as having luxury of having two starters. Honk, you were talking about, is this Adrian's to lose? Absolutely, it's Adrian's to lose. And no one should feel bad if Adrian loses it. He said, this will be year three going into it. It's, sure. it's not that you haven't been given enough leash, and if you if you can't perform at this point, then it's time to move over. And that's not being harsh. This is Power 5 football. And I think Adrian's totally capable of doing it, or I hope he is. But if he's not, then it's nice to know that we have a quarterback that the head guy thinks is good enough to possibly start now, and it almost is like a coin flip with the exception of experience. Mm-hmm. Now, Dave, with Martinez, you know whether he starts another game after this or not, what we have learned in the last week is he's one of the five captains. So, I mean, this is an example here where he's a leader on the team. You can tell that by the players. Yeah, that would have been a supremely awkward depth chart announcement. <laughs> your captain will be your backup at quarterback. That'd be weird. Yeah, and you know, I think that that said a lot about what the players think about him. But I think as you look at what the captains that we have this year, we have some seniors like Farniak and Boodle and Miller. And then Warner is a great example to walk on that becomes scholarship. And then, of course, you have 2 a.m. for a second year. Uh, they've all done a good job uh, leading. Um, there's been a lot of times I said this a lot of times this off season where the coaches haven't been able to be involved and the, the players had to step up and do a lot of things. Um, it's not just these five. I think there's a lot of guys that the team looked to as leaders, a lot of players on our team that got votes, but these five were out in front in the voting. And um, I think the players respect them and look to them uh, as leaders. I like that captain crew. Um, I'm a little surprised a couple guys didn't make it. Guys like Hymas and Stilly jump off the page. But I think that shows that we had some depth and some competition at leadership. And that's a good thing, too. Well, and Frost even made it sound like, you know, when he was asked about McCaffrey and, and Martinez at the quarterback position, how he talked about the leadership of McCaffrey even reflected in the votes for the captain spot. Now, Adrian won that, but obviously he wouldn't have said that if if Luke wasn't getting a fair amount of votes to at least make him think like that. So that tells you a lot about Luke's influence on the team. Even Farniak, when he got up to talk today, said there was virtually no drop-off when Luke comes in to play quarterback. So that's an endorsement from a a second-time captain who's talking about taking the spot of now a second-time captain. So that's big praise for Luke. Mac, you alluded to this, that... Frost might be a little snake bitten because of the Jebbia situation a couple of years ago. 
But what seems to me has happened is that Luke has essentially played so well that he's he's pushed this issue to the fact that I, I think the players are comfortable with Adrian starting and and enough to vote him captain, obviously. But if what was coming out of the coaches' mouths in these press conferences was like, oh, this is a clear-cut situation where Adrian is our number one QB and Luke's not anywhere close, the players wouldn't believe it because they've been seeing Luke apparently perform at this high level. The coaches have been kind of forced a little bit, Boomer, to actually acknowledge how well McCaffrey's been playing. You think that's accurate? That's probably a fair way to approach it. I mean, we saw some McCaffrey last year, and we all know his his, his pedigree. So you've got this challenge of you've got a lot of talented quarterbacks. Are we going to be able to keep them all here for their entire career in Nebraska? We've mentioned it many times how easy it is for players to transfer into that transfer portal. That is something that the staff has to try to balance, try to work out. How can we work these players in? How can we work McCaffrey in? That's something the coaching staff has to work out, and it's probably why I agree with everyone else. Why we're going to see McCaffrey on the field in various formations, various roles. Yeah, Boomer, I think that's the thing about McCaffrey, just period, whether he's playing quarterback or any other position. The differentiator with him, even with Martinez, is just the flat-out speed and some of the athleticism he brings. And the nice thing about that is that even if he's not the starting quarterback, that speed doesn't just go away. You can still line up in a slot. You can line up in the backfield and be a running back. They can do a lot of different things with him. He is an absolute football junkie. He comes from a football family. So, I mean, this is a kid that, you know, he's going to know the system inside and out, and he's going to know the roles of what a running back and a receiver and all those guys do too. So, I mean, they're going to find ways to get him on the field no matter what. Adrian's not chopped liver. I mean, yeah. that kid was electric as a freshman, yes. and he was a different player last year, you know, for a, vi- a variety of reasons. And one of them was he was a little bit injured and he was way overweight. All the all the shots and all the videos I've seen in the offseason, he is clearly trimmed down. And Luke, you know, you can watch his highlights, and he is absolutely fast, but he is he is pretty thin. And he doesn't go into contact that well. I mean, he just doesn't. He kind of clutches and he goes down the ball. And he'll get better with experience, and that's fine. Adrian's got a lot of shake and bake to him when he's feeling good and healthy. Adrian's mm-hmm. got the ability to extend, and he's a strong runner. I, I know we want to move on to the next shiny new thing, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just as excited as the, as the rest of Husker Nation about Luke McCaffrey because of all the things we've heard. But, I, I mean, I think Adrian can I, deliver. I would love nothing more for there to be a lot of doubt about Adrian going into this week. A lot of doubt within Husker Nation, a lot of doubt within some of the Buckeyes, right? And I would love to see Adrian go out there and just absolutely ball it. Yeah. Go out and play his best and, and look different than he did a year ago. Let's get some of that speed back. Let's look healthy. And we have that out of, out of Martinez. I'm excited to see. I think he, he's the kind of guy, I've said it before, um, if, if we have the kind of year that we think we're going to get out of him, I'm not conceding any games to him, and that includes Saturdays. Oh, foreshadowing. Well, Honky, I mean, if Adrian does play like he did as a freshman, he had a, a good game versus Ohio State. He had, had some freshman mistakes in that game two years ago. Correct. But he also had some wow moments, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as you start to transition to the game on Saturday, I take a lot out of that 2018 game. I really do. And I've talked to some people that kind of downplay that game. Oh, that was two years ago. That was an Ohio State team that went on, struggled against Maryland, blah, blah, blah. I BS. This is that's a thirteen and one Ohio State team coached by Urban Meyer scored sixty plus points on Michigan, beat Washington in the Rose Bowl. They were okay. We <laughs> lost thirty six to thirty one. Played far from a great game, 
But what I liked about what we saw, and this is what starts to kind of build the goals that you would do for this week, is how we played that game, the actual style of it. Coach Osborne, I've watched him give speeches in the past, and he would always talk about you never had the goal wasn't to win a game. You never came out to a team and said, we need to win. What you do is you set goals, and you set goals lofty enough that if you can achieve those goals, the wins and losses usually take care of themselves. And I really look at four things as keys to the game that we need to be able to do if we want to stay in this game, and if we stay in this game, then we have a chance to win it. Offensive game plan, rushing yards per play. I want to see us at least run for five yards a carry. I'll go a little bit into this in a second. Uh, defensively, I want to keep Ohio State under 4.5 yards a carry. Turnover and penalties, I want us to be neutral or better. But let's not be worse, okay? And then uh, special teams, we need to be neutral. Now, as I go back to that 2018 game, we started that game off Right away, went down the field, scored seven points. We got up 7 nothing on them. And Martinez was a part of the running game mm. right off the bat. Ozigbo had 20 carries for 86 yards, 4.3 yards a carry in that game. I think we talked about this a week ago. He was a bell cow because that was week six, seven, eight, whatever it was of that season. It took us that long to start to get a bell cow. We need a bell cow in week one. And that's what Mills needs to bring. He needs to be that guy right away that can get us that five yards a carry, get us 20 carries at least, And we need a running game out of Martinez right off the bat. If we do that, we run between the tackles. I know we can run between the tackles on these guys. I know it. We have to stick with that. But if we can do that, that run-pass ratio that I brought before in 2018, we ran it 49 times against Ohio State. Threw it 33. I take that. I take that's a good number. Are we going to win if we do that? Yes. Oh, sorry. I I love it. (laughs) I, I can't say that we will, right? But there's your goal. There's your goal. That's what we did two years ago. I want to see us doing the same things. Martinez had 20 carries two years ago. 20 carries against them. Same amount of carries that Ozigbo had. That, to me, is a formula definitely to take this game into the fourth quarter this weekend. Mac, what's your key to the game? I feel like we have to keep it close early. You know, there's there's an element of weathering the storm, I feel like, at first, mm-hmm. a feeling out process, strength on strength, and, and finally hitting it full speed. I mean, guys... It's a heck of a challenge coming out, you know, right away playing one of the best teams in the land, and you haven't really tackled to the ground yet. But neither have they. Here's my key to the game, because I know this has to be true. We have to make less mistakes in Ohio State. We absolutely have to make less mistakes. There's no way we make more mistakes and win. I know that for sure. Go back to that 2018 game, Mac. And like I said, we went right down the field, and we go up 7-0. And how do we follow that up? Because we had to play a perfect game to lose by only five, right? It had to be perfect. Right. Nebraska couldn't make right. any mistakes. So how do we follow up that 7 nothing lead? Caleb Lightborn kicked an onside unlike any onside ever seen before. Uh, side been with the punters? Sideways and two feet. Special right? teams, folks. Yes. But even with that special teams mistake, guess what? Our defense under Shenander came out and held Ohio State to a four and out on our own 25-yard line. We get the ball back. We end up going three and out. We punt the ball from our end zone. And how did special teams do? Blocked. And they scored a touchdown. That's how Ohio State scored their first touchdown. But, Matt, to your point about There's coming out There's to be made on special yes. teams. Oh, time. my goodness. And to come out strong. Really, that first quarter to me is so important, Matt. Mm-hmm. There is just getting through the first couple drives and not being down 10 nothing and 14 nothing right away where you have to get out of your game plan, where you can't just run the ball the way you right. want to. That start is important, but the start to me is get that ball between the tackles and make sure what, Martinez's legs are being involved. And particularly with the young guys, too. And on the offensive line, there's really only one. It's Benhart, right? 
And, and that is kind of a glaring inexperience at a really important position, which is nice then when you have Farniak right next to him. Right next to him, who also has the experience of starting as a redshirt freshman yep. at tackle at that same position. So I, it, it comforts me to have him right next to him. He's a captain. He's a leader. He's been a two-time captain. There's a good opportunity, really, for the line to exert some force. I mean, that, and that's going to – win, lose, or draw on this game won't be a draw. But win or lose – Probably lost, but let's hope for a win. But with a win, I mean, we're going to have to assert ourselves on the offensive line. And that's what I want to see. What Can we move the line of scrimmage? I think we probably can. I think we probably I don't, can. I don't have any doubt that we can. So, Boomer, you want to jump in here? I bet there's probably some data behind uh, games that o- Ohio State has lost uh, that we could glean some information from, right? I kind of went back and looked at Ohio State losses for the last four or five years or so, going back to 2016. You know, the key to beating Ohio State seems to be two things. I mean, one of them is pretty obvious. It's winning the turnover battle. I mean, you win the turnover battle, you're going to win games on a regular basis. I mean, I looked back, Clemson, Purdue, Nebraska last year actually won the turnover battle against Ohio State. Iowa in 2017 was plus four in turnovers in that game. You're going to win a lot of games when you're plus four against anybody. Clemson in 2016 was plus one on that. And the other key is... It's not rushing attempts or how many times you run the ball. It's what are you getting per carry? Or in many cases, it's how much you're getting in passing if you're a weird team like Oklahoma. But I I looked back at Ohio State's losses against Clemson. Clemson in 2018 was averaging about five and a half yards a carry. Purdue in 2018 was over five and a half. Iowa in 2017 was averaging about six and a half yards a carry. If you can run the ball six and a half yards every time you run it, you're you're in great shape. And you're winning the turnover battle plus four, you're going to win that game. To beat Ohio State, you have to win the turnover battle, and you have to run the ball effectively. There's no set number. You want to probably in the upper 30s to the lower 40s, but you have to be able to run it five yards a carry. That's what you want to be able to well, do. Well, that's exactly the number that I, that I stated earlier. And the point is, yeah. if you're running it five yards a carry, run it and run it a lot because that's a good number there. The numbers don't even say you have to do it a lot. But if you're running it that well, you're knocking Ohio State around and that opens up the passing game. Because if you can pass for eight, nine yards a pass, that wins you those games. If you're throwing the ball a lot, you better be completing a lot. You better have a very high percentage. In you a year ago ran for 7.4 yards a carry against Wisconsin. We turned around and ran for 3.3 yards a carry against Iowa the last time that we went out. Now that can look like a really negative thing, or you could also look at it as the first half and the second half of the Iowa game were two completely different games. This is where I think Greg Austin's role starts to play in. The way that we played in the first half against Iowa last year, the, the screen game that we all saw, and then what we saw in the second half, which was running it between the tackles and going at them, That's the type of approach that if we want to have success against Ohio State, I can't see us throwing the ball around on them or trying to beat them to the corners a whole lot. It has to start. This first quarter, we have got to be running it at them. Martinez's legs have got to be involved right away. Well, you say at them, so are you talking? Tackles, between tackles. Between tackles, running backs or quarterbacks. Like what about a Wandell? Running back, quarterback, Wandell, anything, anyone. But because you have to get Wandell involved, too. He's got to be a big factor in this. Agreed. Mac, would you say that we could win a kind of slugfest 24-21 game? Or is this more likely, if somehow we pull off this upset, 
it's a it's a 45 42 type game i mean do we need to score a lot of points to win this thing that that is a good question because think about it when they lost to purdue to boomer's point i think they gave up 55 points it was ridiculous iowa got at least 40 some points against them so the last two big 10 upsets of ohio state it was clearly they their defense let down and a lot of points got thrown up on the board, and Ohio State's offense ultimately wasn't able to match that. Yeah, I, the traditional Husker fan in me says the slugfest, but in the modern football game has changed a bit. It kind of seems nationally like people are scoring more points. Maybe that's because we've had more practices to get timing on offense and less time to hit on defense. I don't know. You know, it used to be defense wins championships, and that's true to an extent still, but man, offense – is is a real close second, and I think right now with our strength being our offense, we probably would be better suited to do shootout style than we would be to that twenty one twenty four kind of game. Personally, I, I, you know, if their offense is dynamic and as strong as it as it's claimed to be, boy, I'm a big fan of controlling the clock. Sure, and you know, you can go to that Iowa loss from a few years ago, and I don't have the stats in front of me, but God, I swear to God, they had four or five interceptions. The Hawkeyes did in that game. So, I mean, if you have that many, that changes the game by itself, right? I don't think we're going to get four or five interceptions in this week. So this is a game to start to try to show some of that rushing strength, rushing dominance, whatever you want to call it, within the the trenches. I think that this is a fast defense. Ohio State's going to have guys that are four- and five-star and pro-athlete kind of players. Run it at them. Get that started right at the beginning. Force the game inside the hashes to begin it. And then if we want to start to work our way outside with a number of different things, options and and jet sweeps and and side screens and any of that kind of stuff, that can all happen afterwards. But I would start that game, that first quarter, I would have a heavy dose of Martinez running the ball and certainly Mills running the ball. It's interesting. I don't know that just because we'd be running the ball effectively that it would necessarily be controlling the clock. I feel like... We've never really seen tempo when we're running the ball really well. Like, and I, I feel mm-hmm. like that's something we we still have kind of waiting on the Frost offense to deliver on is that tempo-based advantage. So if, even if we are running really well and getting chunk play after chunk play, you know, we might the time of possession might not reflect that the way we're thinking. So I still think points are going to be the, you know, the at the end of the day are going to be the deciding factor. But, it, mm-hmm. man, it, how great would it be if we're just – Eight-yard run, seven-yard run, you know, 10-yard tight end pass. Oh, quick bubble screen. I said it to Wandell and then, it's, you know, going over the top yeah, again. That's I mean, but, be... like, but it starts with running. Yeah, time of possession is a weird thing with Ohio State losses in the last few years. It's like in the playoff game last year with Clemson, Ohio State actually had a, a, about a seven-minute advantage in time of possession versus yeah. Clemson. They still lost the game. Even Purdue in 2018, they had a three-minute advantage in time of possession. And if that same year in Nebraska, we had a seven-minute advantage over Ohio State. But again, I, th- I think it comes down to being able to run the ball and win that turnover battle. Those, those are the keys to beating Ohio State. That's, that's what it is. Otherwise, talent is going to overwhelm you. We are agreeing, Boomer, because when you're going to get a punt blocked for a touchdown – not only is that bad for turnovers and for special teams, it also doesn't really matter about uh, time of possession either, right? The times Penn State has beaten or come close to beating Ohio State, that's that's what it was. It was always some weird special teams blunder because Penn State's played them very close a lot of years. They've had, I don't know how many, like one-point losses and wins versus them, but it's always been some weird special teams thing kind of 
kind of make the big difference on those, whether it was a punt block for safety or a field goal blocked return for a touchdown, those sorts of things. So, again, special teams, folks, is important, as any Redcast loyal listener knows. Special teams is certainly... Uh cost us games instead of helping us win games um getting the right specialists on the field is an important part of that and I think we're in better position there and so special teams we know is important we've talked about the offensive side defensively you know my the key of the game that I said was that we need to keep them to four and a half or less yards per carry and while that number doesn't necessarily seem great to be quite honest with you it still is an improvement on what Nebraska has done over the last few years which has not been very good um, and it has been a, a real bugaboo for Nebraska in the Big Ten to begin with. But you go back to our 2018 game. We gave up 229 yards on 40 carries. We gave up 5.7 yards a, a run. Uh, you compare that to a year ago, Ohio State ran 53 times for 368 yards, 6.9 yards a rush. Again, this is That's just... an interesting way to tire out an offense. <laughs> it just gets to be so ridiculous. I mean, if we're talking about anything... Remotely close to that, of course, this is not going to be a winnable game. But you go to their 28-21 loss to Clemson. They ran it 39 times for 196 yards, five yards a rush. They got five yards a rush last year against Clemson and still lost, okay? When they beat Penn State last year, they ran it 61 times for 229 yards, 3.8 yards a rush. The Wisconsin game last year in the championship game, they ran it 46 times for 172, which was 3.7. I kind of threw those games together the Clemson, Penn State, and Wisconsin tried to find kind of an average, and 4.5 was kind of in the middle of all that. And I just feel like that's a number where, and I'll be interested to come back to this a week from now, 4.5. If we're under that, I like our chances to make this a four-quarter game. If we're giving up more than that, I just it gets to be out of hand, I think. You know, Honk, uh, Boomer mentioned turnovers and the turnover battle, how critical that is. But another key, I guess, to this game potentially would be uh, how else the Husker D, the Blackshirts, can get off the field. And that's stopping Ohio State on third down. In particular, it seems like last year there was so many occasions where we'd get a team in third and long and then we'd let them off the hook. And we did that multiple different ways. Sometimes it was just a, a blown coverage and... um a big play, but a lot of times that was a penalty or just something stupid like that. So, I mean, that's got to be a way to pull this upset off, right, is getting off the field on third down. I'm so glad you brought that up, Dave, and I'm glad you brought it up the way you did because we focus a lot on turnovers. Boomer has, and he's absolutely right. And we've talked about with Shenander, this defense is so focused on turnovers. And having said that, we're not just going to get a bunch of turnovers on every team we play, but what we are going to do is we're going to get teams into third down and medium, third down, long positions, and we've got to get off the field at those times. We were th- three or four games of the year last year, and we were near the bottom in the country in terms of like third down and distance giving up those, and that is, that's awful. I mean, that you just have to get off the field. I don't care if you're three, four, four, three attacking zone. I don't care if you got a team in third and long. You've got to get off the field. Those are your real times you're going to get that ball back to the offense. So we have to do that. As far as as far as the penalties go, as you mentioned, I keep going back to those last quarter of the season last year, the last three, four games. We were one of the least penalized teams in the country. We have to start the season off the way we ended last year. That way, you do that. You play some clean football penalty wise. You get off the field and you get them in third and in longs. 
And those are the things that keep this game going, keep it going longer. As Max said, let's not get beat in the first quarter. Let's not, you know, start off strong, stick with them for 15 minutes. And if you can do that, keep the game going, this is what's going to turn it into a four-quarter game. If it's a four-quarter game, that's where, you know, we can talk about upsets. Yeah, I've got some numbers here for you, Honky, on that with the uh, opponent third down conversion from last year. Uh, Nebraska, we were about 66th in the NCAA Division One, about 40% would the opponents convert uh, third down on us. Uh, just for comparison's sake, Ohio State, they were sixth in the country, and opponents converted third downs for a first down about 29%. So that is a... You know, pretty hefty difference, and that's where a lot of games are won and lost, like you said. So, stat to keep an eye on this weekend. Contributes a lot when you have an elite pass rusher like Chase Young, though, and it also an elite cornerback. So, maybe, you know, either way, I know Ohio State's got great players. You still have to replace those really, mm. really good players. And there's a good point from today's presser with Frost. They have to replace some great players, but he was the first one to say they're going to have four and five-star guys to do it, too. Well, Chase Young's about the best pass rusher I've been on a college football field with. So I'm sure it's not easy to replace a guy like that, but uh, they get four- and five-star guys every year and have a lot of them. The, the guys that played besides Chase beat us last year too. So I'd probably have to argue with you if you if you told me they weren't as good. He also gave a ton of respect to Ohio State. And this is, this is blue blood talking to blue blood here. A lot of respect to them where he – Frost literally said, we're not playing if it's not for – uh, Ohio State it wasn't us, you know, patting ourselves on the back and saying we're the reasons why uh, the Big Ten is playing. We he gave that respect to, to Ryan Day. He gave that respect to Ohio State. Yeah, I talked to Ryan quite a bit. Um, think we probably developed a little closer relationship through this. I, I got to give most of the credit for this to Ohio State. Um, you know, we we might have been uh, one of the sounding gongs in this that we're saying we want to play it. I don't think it would have got done without their doctor taking the lead, uh, figuring out a way to present it to the presidents to get football back. Uh, Dr. Borchers deserves a lot of credit for this. And I I think they did a good job at Ohio State kind of bringing it all together and and presenting a a plan that allowed us to to get back to to doing what we should have probably been doing all the time. But again, that's why I say Ohio State, I think, did a good job of finding a, a way to play and reasons to play rather than looking for reasons that maybe you shouldn't. There is a ton of respect for Ohio State here. And believe me, from the Redcast, we have all the respect in the world. We understand what this week is going to be. But there's no fear. This is not a week of fear. I, I am so excited. It's a celebration, man. We're playing ball well, I, this week. And I'm so excited. And Martinez said that, how excited this team is to play. We're excited. I'm glad we're playing Ohio State this weekend. I legitimately am. There's no fear, but there's a ton of respect. This is going to be an amazing first game to, to go out and play. And uh, I can't wait to see it. You've got mail. Hi, mailman! I can't believe I'm going to be a mailman. What's in the bag? A shark or something? Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. All right, Hawk. Uh, the mailbag is open. Uh, let's see what we have in there. You know, Dave, you can definitely feel that it is the first weekend of the football season for us because the mailbag was full. We can't get to everyone. Thank you so much for all the Redcasters out there that submitted a, 
you know, questions to us through Twitter and, and Facebook and Instagram, and of course our Go Big Redcast at Gmail account. First question, it's a repeat questioner, Sal Vasta. He asked, is it a good or a bad thing that redshirt freshman Heinrich is in line to get outside linebacker play instead of at inside linebacker? So, you know, he's had to make sw- he's switched positions and everything. Is that good or bad? Mac, I'll start with you. We just got done talking about defense. Uh, we know how important outside rush and everything that can get us off the field on third sure. downs. All the things that we've talked about. Is it a good thing that Heinrich has made that move from inside to outside linebacker, in your opinion? I mean, there's always a couple ways to look at things, but this is game week, and we're <laughs> going to play some football, so I'm I'm glass half full guy this week. But I think it's a good thing. I think him moving outside says a couple things. One, that they're pretty happy with their inside guys. I think Honus being back and Miller obviously being named captain speaks to the leadership and the, and the experience in there. Uh, Reimer being put on scholarship tells they, you that they've got a little depth. They, they love, love Reimer, don't they? You know, and frankly, Nick's 6'4", 220. Caleb Tanner's 6'2". JoJo's like 6'1". He's more physically built for that outside position. And he's a, and he's another kind of ball-sniffing, playmaking kind of linebacker. He hits with a lot of power. He's got a lot of snap in him. So, no, I think this is more of an example of us trying to get playmakers on the field at the same time so like trying to get luke on the field with mm-hmm. adrian this is like just trying to get nick out there with some of those other playmakers and let's get after these guys we need listen to beat an ohio state we're going to need a pass rush yeah that's no mystery solved there but if however we can get to that if hendrick's one of those guys then get him out there let me name four players to you and tell me out of those four who are the two best pass rushers <laughs> caleb tanner heinrich jojo doman and Garrett Nelson. It's third and long. It's third and eight. We need to get a pass rush from our outside linebackers. What two do you want on the field at that moment? Honestly, probably JoJo and Caleb right now. You know, because mm-hmm. I've heard good things about Caleb recently about, you know, they're expecting a big jump out of him. And I think Dawson's going to make a difference at that mm-hmm. outside linebacker position. And JoJo is a playmaker. He's a little too much of a hybrid to be a, a really great outside linebacker but he is fast and he will hit hard and he has the potential to to make plays so right now those guys but i i don't think it would be a a big stretch for me to find especially after we see him get on the field a few times nick you know overtaking that Mm -hmm. outside jojo is to me the one like he was number one out of all Mm -hmm. four of those in a pure pass rushing situation tanner is interesting to me in the sense of just some of the videos that we've seen and i know it's you know, it's just glimpses. It's mm-hmm. just a few seconds here or there. The, the great Oregars videos that get sent out there of some He's practice. Good. His lighting team is exceptional. <laughs> but I, I want to be photographed by Oregars. <laughs> I feel like I could get some offers. But I'm telling you, Caleb Tanner, he physically does look different. And I really, well, we're going to see it in four days, I guess. Four Dave, days! Dave, we had a question from Blake West. And he goes, What position? Adam's group? son. <laughs> from Adam's kid. What position group? Do you think will surprise us the most this Saturday? I could take a easy answer here and say something like, oh, wide receiver or something like that. But I'll go with something that I think we all have high expectations for, but we just don't talk about it enough. And that's offensive line. I mean, I think we're underplaying how experienced and deep our offensive line should be this year. And so I would say that, I mean, I expect us to be able to run the ball 
and protect Adrian or Luke, whoever's back there, mm-hmm. to execute our offense. And that's a, something that we have not seen consistently for years now. So I think this is our best offensive line in a long time, and I expect them to show us that. You know, Dave, I want to give you a virtual kiss through uh, you know Google Hangouts here because everything I talked about, if we're going to run between the tackles, if we're going to be a physical team right away, it has to come from that. It has to. I mean, they're just... Dude, when you have five returning starters and one of them can't return as a starter because someone like Ben Hart takes a spot, we have depth on top of depth. But we don't have anybody on any preseason award watch list, though. We do. Jurgens is on the... Oh, what? I mean, <laughs> really? Yeah. A, a freshman? A red... Or, I'm sorry. A, well, I'm just saying Jurgens is on the, the Remington one. And no, I'm, I'm saying that's good, too. You're right, Dave. We underplay it all the time. We've got a, a, a second-year returning center who's on a watch list. Obviously. We're acting like we're scared to say the offense might be able to move the ball. And I'm sure that, you know, Hymas has got to be, like, on whatever the left tackle watch list. Is that, like, Anthony Munoz award? I don't know. You should be on an NFL draft watch list, of anything. There you go. I mean, look, in Farniak... Playing at the spot that we've all said for four years is what he should be playing. Dave, I, I think that is a spot. Like, look, we're Nebraska for cripes sakes. We were offensive line U for 35 years in a row. And if we're ever going to get back to being Nebraska, and I'm saying that in the quotation mark. Pod quotation marks. The pod quotation marks. If we're going to be Nebraska, it has to start there, right? Mac, I'll throw that same question to you because I just think this is too important here. And I think it's a great question from Blake. Is there a position group you think is going to surprise? Any kind of performance by a place kicker <laughs> would be fantastic. That would be fantastic to see early, like to put it to rest. Like he comes out, you know, kicks a 47-yarder and a clutch time, say, right before half to get it to 17-17. Like how huge would that be? Funny. I know that wasn't a fun answer. No, well, I'll, t- <laughs> I'll give you a fun answer. The, the funniest line from last week's Redcast was you – when I was talking about the the walk-ons, and I said, we got a walk-on from Ord, and he kicked a 58-yarder. I go, would you take a 58-yarder last year? And you said, I'd, I'd take a 35-yarder. Mm. And the truth is, the special teams have to get yeah, better. The bar well, was low. I'm going to transition this question to our special teams coordinator, Boomer. Again, I'd be curious to see what the, the D-line does from last year. Um, we, we lost a lot of talent. There were a lot of NFL talent that went on from the D-line. What are we going to see out of that bunch? So that's my big thing. I think that's important, Boomer, because on the O-line, what Dave mentioned, D-line, what you said, I mean, everything that's going on in the trenches, it is so important that we at least hold our own. I mean, I know that sounds so pathetic as a Husker fan where it's like, I want to just be dominant. We're going to be dominant in those trenches, right? But right now, it is about holding our own, especially as we're talking about an opponent like Ohio State. The position group that I'm going to say for me is – I think quarterback can be the absolute position that can mm. surprise. That's actually, if, especially if it's the guy whose name started today, it'd be a real shock if he shined. Well, because we spend it because, not to us, I, yes, you, but it is that point, right? It's we spent a good half of our time talking about the offense, only talking about quarterback, only because that's what everybody talks about all the time. Mm-hmm. I think Adrian's going to be great. I think he's going to have a great season. I think he's going to. He's going to come out right away. I think we're going to have an offense that's really built around him, and I think he is going to be in the right shape. And I think he is going to owe McCaffrey the greatest bit of gratitude because that guy has forced him to have to prepare. As you were talking, I stopped listening, and I started thinking <laughs> about my own stuff. And I was like, did I have that? Did I answer the best way I could? And I'm not trying to – and then it just dawned on me, the tight end position. Like, wow. I, I would be shocked. To see us dominate at the tight end position and thrilled endlessly because 
we just never do that. Would you be shocked that we're better than last year, though? They didn't do a lot. I'd last be shocked year. if we're ever better. I'd just be shocked at a level above, just like, oh yeah, we have tight ends. Yeah. Well, that's about fourteen. Well, that's what I mean. We didn't do much with them last year. Anything is an improvement over last year with them, isn't it? An improvement over last year, yes. But if it's about shocking me, then anytime the tight ends perform, yeah. If I keep on this question, we're going to mention every position group at some point. Well, I, I could have said running back because, like, after Diedrich, then it's kind of shocking. You know, like, what if Ronald Tompkins comes out and sets the world on fire? 17 carries, 85 yards, That's you good. know, two receptions for what a touchdown. You know, that would be shocking. This is very true. I, I'm going to go to the next Omar question. Over Manning, shocking, you know. <laughs> next question from Husker Power 92. And this is for you, Boomer. Which strategy is better for this team versus OSU? And this is kind of the analytics right here, but do you try to shorten the game by playing slower and running clock, or do you want to play with tempo the way that Frost usually likes to? So I guess in that regard, are you trying to do what you're supposed to be best at? I I know we haven't necessarily always done tempo very successfully, but are we trying to play with tempo, or are we trying to shorten that game? I think what you want to do is you want to play the game you want to play. And I think in this case, this would be you want to play the game with tempo. You want to be able to have yards per play on rushing game. You have to generate passing when you want to be able to do it. And you want to control the turnovers. You want to win that turnover battle. If you can do that, you can beat teams like Ohio State. Ohio State's going to have a talent advantage over 99% of the teams they play outside of the Alabamas and the Clemsons. But how do they lose? They lose against those teams when those teams can do what they want to do. And what Nebraska wants to do is they want to be able to win the turnover battle. They want to, be able to control the tempo of games. If you can run it well and you can run it for four or five yards of carry. I mentioned this earlier. If you're getting five, six yards of carry in those games, you can win. It's funny you said that. In, in Farniak's press conference today, he was talking about, or he was asked about, you know, the, the young running backs behind Mills. And he was he was saying how he was nervous about them being squirrely at first, um, but then teaching those guys the value of getting up in the hole, hitting as hard as you can, and understanding that a four-yard run, a four-yard run can be a yeah. really good run play. If that's all you can get, that's a really good run play. And I think that is a, a decent mark to have against an Ohio State, and especially if you're getting that when it doesn't look good. If it looks like a two-yard run, you get four. Those are chain-moving type series that you're putting together to score points. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, four yards of run, that's a first down in three in three drives. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's what you want, or three, uh, three snaps. You know, it's interesting. There's nothing sexy about four yards of carry, but... You know, if it just keeps the ball moving and it keeps the ball in your possession, that's a very good thing there. Dave, do you try to shorten the game? Do you want to play with tempo? I mean, how aggressive do you want to see Nebraska? And does it change throughout the game? Do you want to see us start the game a little different and maybe change it as we get to the third quarter? I mean, how do you kind of want to see the, the, the style of play play out? Well, Hockey, those are almost two separate questions. I mean... Actually, I really agree with Boomer here. History tells us that if you're going to beat Ohio State, you need explosive plays, you need turnovers, and you needed to play the way you want to play, right? They didn't lose a Purdue in a grinded-out game or Iowa. Iowa! You would think Iowa would have beat Ohio State by grinding out the clock, right? No! They had explosive plays. They took the ball away from Ohio State, scored lots of points, put Ohio State behind the eight ball, and, and won the game. So you got to 
in both those instances, Purdue and Iowa scored lots of points, and Ohio State's offense ultimately just couldn't generate enough points to catch up, right? So you got to play from the front, I would say. So I guess to your your second kind of question, I mean, do you imagine us changing up the way we attack this game throughout the the sixty minutes? Yeah, absolutely. If we could get the, get a a lead, uh, and then make sure we're established that run, and we're grinding out for. Uh, yards that carry that that's that's a winning formula right there absolutely agree well speaking of grinding out and running the ball here mac our next question is from richard fitzwell and from jeffrey the greek both uh repeat uh, people on the on the redcast richard asked about you know how many rushing attempts do you think we'll have in this game we've talked about that a little bit earlier in the show but the question from jeffrey the greek too about running backs was he said on his pod which is the eyes on big podcast he goes, we like to say that the Big Ten teams need a pair and a spare. Basically a one-two punch and maybe a third guy on top of that. Mm-hmm. He goes, but is Nebraska more like a man and two in the can? Uh, I, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I think what he's definitely saying there is that the man would be Dedrick Mills. Sure. So we've identified that we at least have that bell right. cow. Let's <laughs> use that language that we've used in the past. We definitely have our bell cow. Mm-hmm. So what do we have behind Mills then? Behind Mills, we have names. We don't we don't know about mm-hmm. skill level. There's zero experience for the most part. But there is a lot of potential. Um, seems like this is going to be the third year now where we have a few positions where we just don't have very many veterans. Running back's kind of one of them. Diedrich's obviously got a lot of experience, and anybody else we put in there, for the most part, is going to be pretty green. Uh, but I'm I'm pleased with the progress of those guys, and and feel like we got a number of guys that we can use. Let's say those names. We've got Ronald Tompkins. We have I, well, I'd Ramir say first Johnson. First off the bench is Ramir because okay. he played last year. As far as camp goes, you've heard good things about Ramir hitting the hole hard. You know he's an explosive guy. And what's, you know he's his, a fast and what's his style? A one-cut runner, you know, top-end speed, slasher type. Okay. Ronald Tompkins is a guy that, you know, he's just been a phenomenal camp story. We're going to have to watch him a little bit make sure we don't overload him, uh, but really no different than anybody else. Uh, he hasn't shown me any reason to believe that uh, he can't carry the ball as much as we need him to. Ronald Tompkins, that'd be fantastic. Coming out of high school, he was – he was sort of that shifty, actually kind of more on the lines of what a Sevion Morrison is now. You know, Marvin Scott's that built to the ground, you know, built like Amir, but he runs more like, I'm trying to think of a good comp. Kind of like a Divino Zigbo, but short. I was shorter. just going to yeah. say that. Is Scott in a Zigbo? Yeah. Now, that's, a, that's a pretty fair comp. Without knowing Scott's top-end speed. Actually, you know, a Zigbo's top-end speed by the time he finished his career had completely shifted. If he was on PlayStation, he would have went from an 88 to like a 94. By the end of it, he so, was out running, guys. So the guy that we haven't really mentioned actually broke down yet. Then we've said Ramirez, you know, speed guy, and he, he can be a slasher. He can be an outside receiver. Tompkins can be a big back guy that can do some things that are similar, I think, to what Mills might be mm-hmm. able to do. We just said that Scott could be a little bit like Ozigbo, mm-hmm. build wise and frame wise. What is Morrison, and what could Sevion bring to this running back room? Sevion, he looks like to me. A lot like Mo Washington did with okay. his with the, his ability to break in and out of his cuts at full speed. He seems a little more game ready than Maurice Washington okay. did coming into his freshman year. And on top of that, with no no concerns about eligibility mm-hmm. and the fact that we're going to be trying to hopefully you know enforce our will and the run game and needing to get these guys reps, I think he's got a great chance now. I've also heard that, you know, he's not quite where he needs to be as far as the offensive understanding. 
you know, whatever. Figure that out. If you got talented players, yeah. then make a make a play that they understand. Like to me, that's a stupid argument. If you can't get the most talented guy out there and you've got five to do it, mm-hmm. I mean, we got we got Wandell out there pretty quick. We got Maurice Washington well, <laughs> out there pretty quick. So if he's good, get him out there. Well, and you just mentioned Wandell, and, and we didn't even mention him yet with our five running backs. So if he's number six, that's okay. Right, but. Look, we've recognized in any football game that we're going to play, the, the likelihood of five running backs getting out there probably isn't very high. So I think to go back to Jeffrey's question specific to this weekend against Ohio State, give me if there's three running if backs three who are, on the tree. If, the, if, if there are three on the tree, they're going to get a carry. <laughs> <All right. laughs> who are those three? Mills, Ramirez, and I'm going Tompkins. I'm, I'm high on Tompkins. Well, there you go. Um, great questions. Thank you, Richard and Jeffrey. Uh, Dave. Believe in Fred. Uh, he took a break away from uh, Nebraska ball to ask us a football question. And he said, make the case for how the close losses over the past couple seasons will move into the win column this year. And specifically, I mean, if you look at it, Frost has had 15 losses in two seasons, but nine of those 15 losses have come by one or less scores. How do we make the case for how we're going to close those losses that were losses a year ago, and how do we turn those into wins this year? Well, I'll do the math of it. I mean, the easy answer is is that that's a statistical anomaly, right? I mean, like, at some point, you're going to return to the norm. And that it's unusual to continuously lose close games, right? Phil still has an entire section on his preseason magazine of plus minus on something like this, right? And, like, you'll see a team like a Northwestern go – you know, nine and four, and then you realize, well, they won five close games. And sure, they're probably going to return back to the normal. That happens all the time. So to have multiple years in a row where we have lost close games, at some point that normally gets shifted back to the middle, the more nuanced answer is how you shift it back to the middle is you win the turnover battle and you keep your penalties down, right? You do all the small stuff, the to win games. Mac, I keep picking us to go 12-0, and 0 and, and we lose these close games. They're screwing up my pattern. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, if, if, it's not just you. I mean, if we if we had a chance to, you know, look back through all the red casts, there's probably plenty of things we could all take back. In fact, I think probably producer Skip's got, you know, a dossier, maybe a <laughs> file, some type of incriminating evidence he could unleash upon the internet at any time but you know you you live and you learn and you you lead with your heart and you can't go wrong right you've heard the boys talk football a uncomfortable victory against northwestern i felt like our defensive line has been disruptive i think he had the third most snaps of any of the outside linebackers in the last game now you can listen to their late night side considerably more explosive we we wanted to try to pound the pound the middle a lot of penetration for a guy his size it's all things love uh, starting slow again it's not your fault i'm so sorry lust just the way that he gets his hands up there and naughty i mean that was kind of what was open <sighs> it's the red cast after dark it's ugly at times it's not always fun to watch we haven't made those improvements we didn't have a lot of other options to kind of uh you know but we just seem a little indecisive download and let your inhibition score a touchdown we're not that good all right well um <laughs> skips proved that we've said a lot of dumb things on this show so here's another good opportunity uh i'll take the last question here uh honky or throw it to you actually 
It's from All Bucked Up, and he uh, says, What is considered a great, good, disappointing season to you? I know as a Buckeye fan, fair or unfair, we expect perfection. I hate holding young men to such standards, but as a Bengals fan, I also need something to offset the losses. Well, I'm a I'm an Oilers fan on the side, so I don't have any <laughs> I don't have any pro team to, to offset any losses or, or wins, right? I'll tell you this. I think when you talk to Nebraska fans, Mac, mm-hmm. and you ask their expectations, it becomes an age question. Uh, <laughs> if you ask a 20 year old what your expectations are, they literally they fall back on what's familiar to them, and they will say, "Hey, we're, you know, if we can go 500, if we can make a bowl game, whatever." Mm-hmm. It's just it's what you're familiar. With. It's it's what you grew up with. In Nebraska, we still are a blue blood. It's a different blue blood than what Ohio State is right now because there's a certain amount of recency relevance that goes along with it. But again, we've said this on many, many previous shows. Every blue blood has gone through the, the yeah. ups and downs and the peaks and valleys. There have been We're just low. a little anemic as yeah. a blue blood. Nebraska, right. right now, we picked the perfect time uh, to, to start a podcast. We know that. Mm. We understand that well. Mm-hmm. But... You look at them all. You look at Texas, and you look at USC, and you look at Alabama, and you look at Oklahoma. I mean, you go back to when Frost was playing uh, at Nebraska, and Oklahoma was a you know a three win team, right? So I mean, it happens to everyone. As far as I guess to all bucks up question, the expectation that I have for this season is I expect us to be better than we were last year. I expect us to compete with every single team that we play well into the fourth quarter, right? I mean, we're going to be more than a competitive team. And I think that every team on this schedule is somebody that we can beat. That's the expectation that I have. Is that going to happen more times than not? No. More times than not, you're not going to go undefeated. But my expectation is we should never go into a game and get blown out. And I think that goes a little bit back to believing Fred's question where he talked about how many close games we've had even in the last two years. We've had a couple blowouts under Frost, don't get me wrong. But, I mean, look, as we get further along in this process, Mm -hmm. I think we all know this. I think Big Ten fans know this, and whether they want to admit it or not, they realize we're going to keep getting better under Frost. And the the days of us just getting blown out the way we did to Ohio State a year ago or or Michigan two years ago, where we don't look like we should be on the field, that's not going to last very long. So it is about winning those close games. It is literally about Mac is about doing the, the the small things that make three point losses and the three point yeah. wins. In the words of the immortal Tom Petty, the waiting <laughs> is the hardest part, <laughs> you know. And and I feel like we have done plenty of that. And it's it's the expectation for this year for me, without putting wins and losses on it, is be a good team. Just be a good team. You know what a good team looks like. A good team doesn't have stupid penalties. Yep. You know, on on a first down big time play, or they don't let another team get another first down on a third and fifteen. You don't let a team return a kickoff or a touchdown after you just scored on them. It's just boneheaded, you know, like ridiculous, almost parody like plays of football that we've just been plagued with over these last few years like that that's what my expectation is i don't want to see that anymore i don't want to and i feel like i do feel like we're probably past it but i mean i'd I'd like to see it and if we do all that if if that all happens i wouldn't think we'd have more than two or three losses dave well just to play off of max point there a little bit i mean just from a pure talent perspective we're not 62-3 bad yes. compared to Ohio State, right? Correct. That wasn't talent. 
difference of 59 points. That was coaching and development, everything in a ball of uh, a twine there. So once you unravel that and you're saying, hey, the talent maybe isn't as high as if Ohio State is right now, but we need to bring along the development mm-hmm. and the culture and all those other things to start closing that gap. Um, maybe we can then eventually recruit to the level we need to to compete at a very, very high level, right? Baby steps here, right? And so to your point, Hockey, about being a blue blood, I think I can answer this at, from that big perspective as well as from the season perspective to say that we need to compete for championships. And that starts with the Big Ten West and it goes from there, right? If we can be, win the Big Ten West – that means we can play for a Big Ten championship. And maybe not this year, because maybe we have a couple of losses with our East Division foes of Penn State and Ohio State. But eventually, if you start winning Big Ten West titles and you're competing for Big Ten titles, you should be able to compete for national titles, right? It's a, You do one, you should be able to do the other two at some point. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's how we need to think about this. Win the Big Ten West on a regular basis or... <laughs> at least once to start off and then maybe become a regular basis, right? And then then you can start competing for the Big Ten. And if you're competing for the Big Ten, that means you should be a darn good team that should have a chance to make the playoff. You make the playoff, and you're off for the race. Yep. As New Kids on the Block said, step by step, right? So the last question. Why would you, why? I said Tom Petty. <laughs> and you reference New Kids on the Block. I love Richard Marks. Yeah, so, Richard Marks would have been better. <laughs> The last question, Boomer, this is from Jay Barber, and he said, what's the over-under on how many times we'll hear Nebraska, you wanted football, you got football, followed up with a bunch of annoying <laughs> with annoying laughs. Uh, hey, Honky, I'll throw a, a, one on top of that. Is like, who says something to piss off the Nebraska fan base first, Desmond Howard or Kirk Herbstreit? <laughs> Desmond, Desmond won't have to say a word. De- just showing His up. just stupid smile walking out there should get the ire of about everybody. If they score right away, that's where you're going to hear that. If it's like the very first series and they drive down the field and score and it's seven or nothing in like a minute and a half, then you're going to hear that. It's going to depend how that game starts. Yep. Yeah. If, if, if we lead at any point during the first half, it'll be because Ohio State's sluggish start. <laughs> it won't be – they'll never give us any credit about that. That's right. Well – yeah, this team looks out of sorts, you know. <laughs> well, Dave, the last two questions are specific to the Ohio State game, the expectations we have. I really think they're a pretty decent segue into our actual picks. Uh, Vegas Jer, who submitted his picks last week to the uh, inaugural uh, BetCast that we had, he said, maybe I'm getting too much sun here in Mexico, and he sent us a photo from where he's at in Mexico, and we're very jealous. But he goes, I'm actually pretty optimistic about the OSU game. He goes, we're playing them at the absolute best time. It's basically on a neutral field, and we have nothing to lose, and they have everything to lose. So my question to you guys is, why not us? And that was followed up by Zach Sempek, who asked, basically, how many points does Nebraska win by on Saturday? So, Boomer, let's start with you. I think the spread's a bit high, but I, w- I would take Ohio State by 17 at this okay. point. I mean, that's I guess Nebraska would beat the spread in that sense by... Yeah, they would be the spread. Yeah, the, the spread is good, and I would take the the over. Yeah, a little prequel to go big bet cast here at this point. Yeah, I mean, to, to help the folks out, I think the over right now as of Monday, this could change, is at 64. Yeah, take the over right now, folks. Spread is Ohio State by 27.5 is the last time That's I've a seen lot. it. That's a lot. Which 
pre-betting line was at 21 and a yeah. half. It technically opened up on Sunday night, probably at 25 or so. So it's been creeping up. It's one of the largest spreads Nebraska's had in quite a while. So, yeah. Might be ever, actually. It's close. I know uh, the, the Nebraska-Penn State right, uh, spread a couple of years ago was about 27. So, yeah. But this is, this is, this is high. Yeah. So I'll agree with Boomer. I think, you know, I honestly, the it should hit the over. And I think Nebraska easily beats the spread here. I, I do think if we follow the pattern of the Iowa and Purdue upsets, um, and even our own attempt at an upset two years ago where we lost 36 to 31, um, if, if we can kind of get into that ball game, you know, it gives us a shot. I'll say Ohio State pulls away the late touchdown. I'll say 42-31 Buckeyes. All right, interesting. 11-point win there. Uh, Mac? Yeah, it's a it's a weird first game to try to predict because it, it, it kind of puts a little pit in your stomach. It's just difficult. I, I, I can foresee a lot of ways this, this game could play out to our favor. We've just been such an unusual team in that we've needed so much to go right in every single game for us to win. Like, we couldn't have one bad thing happen to us ever, or the game would be derailed. So I, I would like to see that trend stop. If we keep this into two scores going into the fourth, 14 to 17 points is probably fair. But, I mean, there's there's a lot of ways to feel about a 14 to 17 point loss. And, and I, I would be prepared to feel pretty good about that, actually. Mm-hmm. Everything we've talked about, it's about style of play. And for us, I am going to keep harkening back to the game two years ago. And we need to start the game off strong. Mac, you said it earlier on. And if you look at the game two years ago, we did. We scored on our first possession. We were up 7 nothing. We had an early lead that allows you to continue to play the style of play that you want to play. That's the biggest thing to me is looking at those first 15 minutes. As long as we aren't completely out of it, mm-hmm. which is essentially what we were a year ago. Right. If we aren't at the end of the first quarter, then I'm already in a position where I feel like this is going to become a four-quarter game. We're three years into the War Daddy Up movement. If we get into the second and third quarter, I'm not concerned about our, our conditioning. I'm not concerned about our strength. Um, I'm not concerned about our scheme. I think we're going to run the ball effectively on these guys. I think 2 a.m., Martinez, he is going to be a part of this running game. I think Mills is going to be a bell cow from play one. As long as we can get into that second half, as long as we mm-hmm. can make this a four-quarter game, we have a chance at the end. And because I'm honky and what the hell, I don't care. Uh, we lost 36-31 two years ago. We're going to win 36-31 this year. This is going to be oh, – yeah. did it, folks. It will be the upset. You did it. It will be the upset of the week, <laughs> whatever. Right away, it will drown out all the other games that are played after this 11 a.m. kick. But Nebraska will start off 1-0 in the, uh, in the horseshoe against a team that we have mad respect for. Uh, no disrespect to Ohio State, but uh, go Huskers. Uh, scarlet-colored glasses in full effect with hockey. <laughs> there could be no prediction of a loss after this one. You know what I mean? Like If, you, <laughs> if, if we won against Ohio State, I wouldn't predict yeah, a loss. If we're like Ramley in week week six, uh, Mac and hockey like throws out, you know, we're, we're going to lose or Purdue, you know? You'd be like, what? What are you talking about? Yeah. We got away with one with Illinois. <laughs> I don't see it happening this year. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, good stuff. Uh, I think we're ready for some parting shots. Uh, honky. Well, this is going to be Honky and Max. We're gonna. It's a combo one, and it brings us all together. But it's a question that he and I had on a phone call uh, the other night, 
And we were talking about the Mount Rushmore of 21st century coaches. Mm. So, you know, we always talk about the Mount Rushmore of all time. No, this is just since 2000. Who are the Mount Rushmore, the four best coaches since then? And I think collectively, Mac, mm-hmm. we said Dabo. Mm-hmm. Um, we said, obviously, Saban. And a team that we're going to be playing this weekend, Urban. Again, we have mad respect for Ohio State. What Urban Meyer has done at Ohio State, at Florida, at Utah, at Bowling Green, for cripe's sakes, he's on that, right? But it was that fourth coach. You know, who is it? And we threw out a lot of names. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're talking about guys that have won national championships, Mac Brown, yeah. um, Bob Stoops. Pete Carroll. The Mad Hatter. The Mad Hatter. <laughs> and we just couldn't really come to a consensus on who that fourth guy is. Dave. Well, I'm shocked that you didn't say Craig Bowl, your favorite <laughs> North Dakota State and former Nebraska D coordinator, um, as a candidate. Um, but, you know, I, I probably would take Pete Carroll's short but glorious run at USC over Bob Stoops just because of the titles and the quality of the teams. You have a couple of USC teams there that you could argue are really, you know, top 10 type teams of all time, top five type teams of all time from the talent perspective mm-hmm. and the performance on the field. Bob Stoops' tenure at Oklahoma is amazing, but only one national title. And I don't think of any of those Oklahoma teams as all-time great teams. Mac. It'd be hard to argue Carroll or, or Stoops. You know, I think they both have merit. One guy that was interesting to me is I always think of, like, you look at college football right now and how it's almost a homogenous style of offense out there. Everybody's kind of some form of spread. But, you know, when Chip Kelly introduced that years ago, like, that yeah. would, that took the college football game by storm. Yep. And, like, that's it's just had such a huge influence. And, you know, they were very, very good for a lot of years. Maybe didn't have all the hardware, but they certainly took home some. Yep. Uh, but he does deserve some credit for absolutely reshaping the I feel like reshaping the game. I'm, I'm sure there's some historians that say, well, you know, Hell Mummy or, you know, you know other guys along the, the way that I'm sure had played a role in it. But, you know, Chip Kelly is widely considered kind of that the guy who brought the spread should be in some type of the conversation. Boomer? Yeah, there were a couple of guys I thought of when you, when you texted that to us. Um, you know, one would be uh, Chris Peterson, had a great run at Boise State, kept them in the conversation, you know, year in and year out, you know, at a, at a mid-major school. I mean, they had a couple of year undefeated seasons with him there, and arguably, you know, a couple of big, you know, bowl wins. So that was a great team. He did great at Washington while he was there. And yep. kind of kind of an alternative choice when he wants to consider football as a whole. I thought about Chris Kleiman, you know, following up your favorite, Craig Bowl at North Dakota State. <laughs> I mean, he had a great run there. I mean, and what did he win? I think four national championships. And, and one was a – and his other year there was a runner-up as national title at the FCS level. I mean, yeah, there's football played there. And – at K State, he's had a decent run so far. A couple of years there, that he's shown a lot of effectiveness as a coach, taking over for legends and and two different programs. So, no, I think that's that's, that's a, a good one, one, Michael. I'm going to go with Stoops. I just maybe it's an Oklahoma bias I have with Nebraska and OU, but um, I just think the success he had, and also we even saw it this year when Lincoln Riley lost those two games in a row to K State and Iowa State, and that was the first time this century, I believe. That Oklahoma lost two consecutive games in a row in conference. That stat is just hmm. amazing to me. Um, so, Dave, that that's who I would go with as Stoops. All right. Uh, well, that's a classic five-minute honky parting shot, but at least Mac was thrown in on That's there. right. That's both of ours. So, <laughs> so Boomer. 
Well, my, my parting shout is brief. Um, outside of glad it's finally Husker game day. Uh, my shout out goes to uh, Cade Warner and the talk we've heard. Uh, whatever anyone says, parents or not, your mustache is outstanding. That is a work of art. Keep that. Do not shave that. <laughs> Let it go. Uh, we're experts in that style of mustache, so enjoy it, embrace it, and uh, go Big Red. And Boomer, on top of that, congrats to Cade and to Damian Jackson and to Luke Reimer, the three walk-ons that have been awarded scholarships. In addition to Frost, he, we didn't, he didn't say who it was going to be, but he said there was probably going to be one more player uh, awarded scholarship that's a walk-on before Saturday. So congrats to all those. This is still walk-on mm-hmm. you despite all the years you know mm-hmm. that have gone on. I mean, you know, congratulations to those guys. So great job, Cade, and, and the rest. If Kate, if you listen, uh, my man Boomer there makes his own mustache wax. <laughs> I can hook you up, Kate. I've got, I've got yeah. several different varieties. Whatever you need, just just let me know. <laughs> we have football right, this guys. weekend, boys. Yeah, I'm looking forward to next Saturday, this Saturday, so much. So it should be a great show next week. We can recap whatever happens against Ohio State, but we will be talking more football, more in depth. Uh, but for now, let's call that a Go Big Redcast. Go Big Red! JBR! Come running, boys. <laughs> <laughs>